0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Farm Talk with John O'Connor with Dairy Gold Heifer Rearer Cube. A trusted partner to help your replacement heifers reach their target weights and meet their full potential.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahedy. On the programme we continue our weekly look at the world of agriculture and food. Tagus produced its 2020 annual report at this week's Tiagosk Economic Outlook Conference held online. The Minister for Agriculture is urging farmers to take every precaution possible to ensure that there isn't a bird flu epidemic. We'll be taking a look at the sheep sector over the next few weeks. First up today, an overview of the industry in 2020. It's December, so time to kick off the seasonal agri-features and orders for real Christmas trees in Cork are higher than normal this year. We visit two Christmas tree farms in Cork. And Farm Talk's John O'Connor will look at other stories making the agri news this week.
0: Farm Talk on C103.
1: The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnelogue, has confirmed the balancing payments under the 2020 Basic Payment Scheme, BPS, and Greening have now begun. Commencement of the BBS scheme will bring the total paid to €1.13 billion to over 121,000 farmers this year. The Minister also confirmed the payments under the 2020 National Reserve and the Young Farmers Scheme will also begin alongside payment of the 2020 BPS balancing payment. The Minister is urging farmers to take every precaution possible to ensure that there isn't a bird flu epidemic. It's after five cases among wild birds in the Republic and two in the North were detected since the beginning of last month. Ministers on both sides of the border have taken new measures to prevent it spreading any further. Minister Charlie McConnell says there's a risk to poultry flocks throughout the country. It's very concerning because if uh, the bird flu gets into a commercial flock, it's very disruptive altogether. So um, I've moved uh, along with the, the,
2: my northern counterpart
1: to ensure they're bringing in additional measures to improve the biosecurity of our commercial flocks. We're actually introducing uh, an exclusion zone for all commercial flocks uh, north and south, meaning that only those who have to be close to it will be close to uh, these flocks. There's certainly a risk there. We, when we when you see five cases in, in wild birds in the republic and two in northern ireland that 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 is a concerning situation and it means that every precaution that we can take should be taken in relation to ensure that it doesn't spread into commercial flocks so it's it's something which is important and all uh, commercial farmers are very much aware of the threat and it's really important everyone takes the steps required now to ensure that there isn't any infection minister for agriculture there charlie mcconnell ICMSA President Pat McCormack told his association's virtual AGM this week that the Irish public must face up to the unavoidable fact that the transition to low-emissions farming and food production will mean higher food prices. He told the virtual audience, including the Minister, the idea that costs and regulations can keep on being added to farmers or primary producers to produce higher and better quality food with no additional cost to the consumer or retailers is the single biggest threat to the family farm. Almost 400 fishing jobs could be impacted if a new EU plan is implemented, according to the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine. The European Commission is currently setting caps on the amount of fish that can be caught for the commercial sector. Minister Charlie McConnell said that Ireland would have a 10% reduction in fishing opportunities under the plan. He said it could impact 383 jobs through reduced income, partial layoffs or redundancies. Well, today is World Soil Day, and to recognise its significance, we have Roshin O'Donnell from Dairy Gold back with us. Over a few programmes, we'll be looking at soil health in general, biological activity in the soil, and the important organisms that contribute to good soil. But first, this morning on World Soil Day, a few words on checking soil health and why it should be prioritised.
3: Start by looking at the end result, whether it's milk, grain or beef production you're in, it all starts with the check that you get in the door, and that's where it all starts, right? But if we go back along the chain, and from here, we have the plant, the animal, and the soil. Everything else around us, including the people and all that goes with it, fertilizer and everything else, they're just to help the three main pillars. You often hear the phrase, you need to learn how to walk before you can run, and I think farmers sometimes are trying to run with regard to soil health at the moment, rather than learn how to walk first. The animal or plant needs a source of feed for growth and production, and this could be in grass or grain feed for animals. The feed for tillage crops is widely known as nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. So, no matter what type of production you are in, soil is the core fundamental that we all need for growth. Most farmers know soil health as line T and K and think, well, look, if I have the correct soil pH index three or four for T and K and give the crop the required amount of nitrogen. That the job is done and I can't do anymore, and it's up to the crops to out. now. Although identifying these levels of pK and the pH is a good starting point to improve production, there's a whole other world of soil health that influences plant growth. Good soil biological activity is what makes up soil health. Soil biological activities play a vital role in recycling nutrients, which makes these nutrients available for plants. To develop and maintain good soil structure
1: and we started yes roisin at the very beginning there about farmers prioritizing you know soil health so the follow-on from that is then how can farmers check the health of their soil
3: yeah barry it's very simple there's a few uh, simple tips which i'll talk about in a minute but look i would encourage every farmer to invest in this space it'll be the most profitable piece of equipment that you'll ever buy and i know people will be laughing when they hear it. But we can only see our soils if we look straight at the ground. We can only see what's on top and what crops they grow. But to get a proper look at what's going on beneath your feet, we need to have a dig down and have a look of what is actually going on in our soil. It's easy to evaluate the number of earthworms per hectare. If we get a quadrant, lay it down on the ground, cut away the grass so that you can see directly into the ground, make up a solution then of water and just a small bit of washing-up liquid, and we're trying to mimic the effect of heavy amounts of story going out here so if we if we put the washing up liquid and water solution out within the quadrant and leave it for a few minutes the earthworms will start to come to the top of the soil because they'll be starved of oxygen and they'll come up and you can count them then if you count we'll say if, when you count your worms and you must it up then by 40,000 you'll have the number of worms per hectare and as I said already 10 to 12 per square metre is ideally what we're looking for
1: Just a quick few points there on soil health. As I said, we'll be joining Roisin again for a wider look at soil health in general, biological activity and important organisms that contribute to good soil over the coming weeks. And for anyone that wants to find out more about soil testing, contact any Dairy Gold Area Sales Manager.
4: The government has been called on to prioritise the legislative changes needed for the introduction of a Fair Deal Nursing Home Scheme with a three-year cap on farmland assets under certain circumstances. The call has come from the IFA President, Mr Tim Cullinan. He was speaking following a recent meeting with Minister Mary Butler to discuss the Fair Deal Nursing Home Scheme and the issue of mental health. Mr Cullinan claimed that during the election... All parties had paid lip service about changing the Fair Deal nursing home scheme. He points out the new government is now in place over five months, and yet, he contended, farmers were still awaiting news about this scheme. It had been promised two years ago the scheme would be fast-tracked. Minister Butler informed the IFA president and the IFA farm family chairperson, Miss Caroline Farrell, that she hoped to bring the amended legislation before the Aroctus early in the new year, and that Doyle would enact it in the spring session. Mr Cullinan gave an undertaking to observe the government for progress and would hold Minister Butler to account. He contended the scheme was fundamentally unfair as it stood. It's bringing huge stress and worry on farm families. They are awaiting the government to act. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
1: The Tagusk report published this week estimates the average family farm income grew by 6% in 2020. The Tagusk Outlook 2021 was released at the annual Tagusk Economic Outlook Conference, which was held online. Covid and Brexit continue to be two key issues influencing the report. In a while, we'll hear from Kevin Hadrahan on how Brexit might influence farm incomes for the coming year. But first, John O'Connor joins me to look at the FFI family farm income increase of 6% this year. So, John, did the Tiagoski economists identify the key driver of the estimated average increase?
4: There were a number of key drivers involved, Barry. A reduction in animal feed, fertiliser and fuel prices, along with additional subsidy supports for cattle producers to alleviate the negative impact of COVID-19 on the beef market. They were all factors. There had been concerns early in 2020 that COVID-19 restrictions around the world would hinder food trade and lead to a reduction in global food demand. However, the actual impact on the agri-food sector worked out to be minimal. Due to the pandemic, food consumption outside the home fell substantially in 2020, but this was largely offset by increased consumption at home. Internationally, agri-food trade proved quite resilient in spite of the restrictions.
1: And John, what about the impact on the livestock marts? The
4: lockdown measures did lead to restrictions on marts, a short-term contraction in beef processing and lower beef prices. Additional support was made available to the Irish beef sector due to the impact this had on farm-level cash flow and short-term profitability. On the positive side, production conditions for grassland agriculture in 2020 were relatively normal in Ireland, with only small changes in purchased input usage. Lower input prices, therefore, led to a reduction in production costs on dairy, beef and sheep farms in 2020. And from the report,
1: how did cereal farmers cope with 2020?
4: Some Irish cereal producers had to deal with adverse weather conditions in 2020, which led in turn to a substantial reduction in cereal yields on some farms, only
1: marginally offset, unfortunately, by higher cereal prices. And prices then for milk, beef, sheep, cereal and pigs, how did they fare?
4: Milk prices in 2020 were equivalent to those in 2019, while beef, sheep, cereal and pig prices all increased. The milk, cattle, sheep and pig sectors also recorded production increases in a range of 2% to 4%, while cereal production actually fell by about 20%. Yes, that's 20% of a fall. The average income on dairy farms is estimated by the Chagas economists to have increased by 5% in 2020, benefiting from lower production costs, stable milk prices and a further increase in milk production. In contrast, the average income on tillage farms is estimated to have fallen by 11%, largely reflecting a sharp drop in cereal yields in 2020. This fall in average cereal incomes belies the more significant drop in incomes in parts of Ireland, worst hit by the adverse weather conditions at the time of sowing and harvesting.
1: And John, does the report have any additional breakdown of the FFI family farm incomes? In 2020, the average income
4: on cattle rearing, suckler farms, is estimated to have increased by 17%, while the average income on other cattle farms, predominantly finisher farms, was unchanged on the 2019 levels. All beef farmers benefited from lower production costs, but the outcome for cattle rearing farms was better in 2020 than for most other cattle farms due to the difference in beef price movements for younger and finished cattle.
1: So that's the FFI family farm estimated for 2020 by The Economist at Tagusk. But looking to the Brexit implications, does this Chagos report give any indication of what would happen to farm incomes in 2021, say in the absence of a trade deal?
4: Under a no trade deal outcome, the average family farm income in 2021 would decrease by 18% to about €20,000. It's estimated this would amount to an income reduction in excess of €690 million euro for the agri-sector in aggregate for 2021, In the absence of a trade deal, the largest income losses in 2021 would occur on Irish beef farms, where the average income could drop by a massive 40%.
1: And if the worst comes to the worst, the EU and the Irish government surely would be expected to offer support to the family farm sector.
4: The Chagos Report economists imply it's likely that additional support would be provided by the European Union and the Irish government. And the forecast in the Chagos Outlook 2021 report provides an indication of the amount of money that could be required to offset the potential outcome reductions across the sector in the event, again, of a no-trade deal Brexit. Until the outcome of the European Union-United Kingdom trade negotiations is actually known, there can be no certainties regarding farm incomes in 2021.
1: Thanks for that, John. Kevin Hanrahan of Tagusk presented the scenario around Brexit in determining the FFI in 2021 in his address to the Tagusk Economic Outlook Conference. It was held online on Tuesday, December 1st.
2: Brexit is a massive uncertainty. It's a massive challenge. And we know some stuff and we don't know a lot. Okay, what we do know is that there hasn't been an agreement yet between the UK and the European Union. And everyone is watching their phones and and, and reading newspapers uh, probably more than they need to um about what's going on in terms of this uh, this ongoing negotiation it seems that an agreement remains possible but as we run into uh, into december and towards the um, the end of the transition process um the probability of a no deal outcome is is probably increasing marginally everybody in official circles uh, remains convinced that if we can get a political, agree- political agreement that the ratification challenges, uh, both uh, in the UK and uh, within the European institutions and across the member states, can be can be sort of solved somehow. Um, there are some legal voices that 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 point to difficulty in making that work, but let's let's uh, let's presume that that it can. And I've been at meetings with people from Foreign Affairs who have said that they will move might and main to to ensure that if a deal is made, that it can be legally ratified. So let's all hope that we get a deal. But when we faced into our task of making forecasts for 2021, um, we had to make an assumption about what kind of trading world we would be uh, in in 2021. We'd have to, we have to make an assumption about the political world, unfortunately. So what we've done is we've assumed that um, for the purposes of our forecast for 2021, that there will not be a deal agreed between the European and the Union and the United Kingdom. We've assumed that uh, the transition period will end at the end of this month uh, and that at a minute past midnight uh, Brussels time uh, uh, the 1st of January 2021, um, the European Union and the UK will be treating each other as third countries in terms of the WTO rules. So that means that UK exports to the European Union will be subject to the European Union's most favoured nation tariff schedule. and um, EU exports to the UK will be subject to the UK's announced global tariff schedule, which they which they announced in May of this year, and that there will be no preferential market access uh, granted by either party to the other, and there will be no preferential access for the UK to European Union tariff rate quotas, for example, and there are no tariff rate quotas uh, granting the European Union preferential market access within the, the UK global tariff schedule. So that will be really we will be working on a, on a very, a very uh, lowest common denominator uh, trade uh, uh, regime between the two uh, parties. So that's what we've assumed uh, next year. Okay, so tariffs and the non-tariff barriers that will that will be imposed on trade in both directions will negatively inf- affect import demand for UK goods in the European Union and for European Union goods, including Irish goods, in the UK market. And this lower import demand will be reflected in changes in agricultural output prices in Ireland. Now, this is a one-year forecast in terms of how we look to outcomes in 2021. So what we've assumed is that there's no supply response or it's very, very limited. And that actually is quite a sensible assumption to make because we already have animals on farm. uh, They're already in calf or or in lamb most likely already. Uh, looking towards the spring of next year in terms of of the production side on on on, on animal systems crops are already being sown with a view to ne- to harvest next year so a lot of the decisions that farmers uh, are have had to make have already been made and are kind of baked into terms of the of the supply that's going com- coming forward next year in ireland and the same thing goes in many other markets so in the short run things are very inelastic. The supplies likely to, like to be very limited. So we've assumed that there is effectively no supply response next year. We based our forecast price changes across the different commodity sectors uh, off of our analysis from last year, which, we, which I was talking to you about this time last year in terms of a, the no deal Brexit outcome. Okay, The trade policy changes don't get phased in. They happen overnight uh, at the end of this month if there's no deal and they will be very abrupt and they will potentially for some sectors be very, very dramatic. Okay, now myself and colleagues are working on an ongoing basis on updating that analysis, uh, looking again at this UK global tariff schedule, looking at what we might assume will be in a a thin trade agreement if we can manage to get get one with the UK, so looking at the impact of non-tariff barriers to trade and what that means for Irish uh, agricultural prices and incomes. That analysis isn't yet complete, but once it is, it will be given to government and will be released uh, to the public in due course, okay? Um, once we have, if we have an agreement uh, over the next few days uh, or week, um, we will be revisiting the analysis uh, within, that's going to be presented today, and that will be made, uh, made available to everybody on the Chagas website. So, uh, in the event of a deal, there will be revised forecasts for 2021, and they will be in, in, in made public in the public domain, okay?
1: Kevin and there of Tagus, presenting the scenario around Brexit in determining the family farm income in 2021. That was his address to the Tagus Economic Outlook Conference, held online on Tuesday last, the 1st of December. Well, Tagus has confirmed it's to fund the COVID payment to students and provide a laptop loan scheme. Similar supports were introduced to third level students in other education institutions as part of the government initiative in budget 2021 earlier this autumn. Tiagosk will now provide in the region of €200,000 to fund the combined cost of a Covid payment to Tagusk farmers and a Tiagosk laptop assistance scheme.
4: Writing in the December issue of the Dairy Gold Milk Matters magazine, Miss Kira Donovan, Farm Sustainability Advisor, Dairy Gold Supply Chain Division, refers to the 2020 IFAC report, which showed that in 2019, the top 25% of dairy farmers earned an average €1,735 Euro per hectare, compared to the average who earned just €948 Euro per hectare net profit. Kira Donovan points out this is not a new trend. The National Farm Survey shows that consistently over the past 10 years in dairy farming, the top 10% of dairy farmers produced almost 40% more than the average, but at a cost of 15% more than average. These farmers are certainly more financially sustainable and they're also likely to be more socially and environmentally sustainable as well, Kira suggests in her article, in the December 2020 issue of the Dairy Gold Suppliers magazine, Milk Matters. The article tabulates how milk recording, EBI and extended grazing generate greatly increased farm finances and promote sustainability. Herds which milk record have been shown to produce 50 kgs of milk solids per cow per year, more than herds which do not milk record. On EBI, Kira points out, latest work by Chagask indicates that for each €10 gain in herd EBI, there has been a gain of €20 in terms of additional net profit per cow per year, which also equates to a 2% reduction in the carbon emissions. On extended grazing, a 10-day increase in grazing season can lead to 1.7% reductions in carbon per cow, Extended grazing, of course, can only be achieved if all facets of grassland management are excellent and if the weather is favourable. All of these subjects, milk recording, EBI and extended grazing, are covered in greater detail in Kira Donovan's article in the December 2020 issue of the Dairy Gold magazine, Milk Matters. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. It's
5: that time of the year
1: Next on Farm Talk, marts are allowed to have buyers around the ringside once more from this week. According to the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConneloog, follows on from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, sending a letter to marts around the country last week, providing an update on expected protocols for the marts after the easing of the Level 5 COVID restrictions. Next, our weekly Tyagask Advisory, and over the coming weeks, we'll be taking a seasonal look at the sheep sector with the Head of Sheep Programme at Tagusk, Michael Gottstein. First this week, an overview of the industry in 2020, and I began by asking Michael about the virtual sheep week held during the summer in very different circumstances for everyone involved.
6: It's not something that we're really accustomed to. Usually we end up having an open day and lots of people walk on to one of our research farms, are, uh, and we, we take them through a series of either workshops or stands or things like that. So I suppose given that we had COVID and we weren't able to do that, we went virtual um, over five days and we had ballpark around 200 people, between kind of 180 and 220 people um, tuning in um, every day for the entire hour of the, the, the period that was that level of 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 activity. So we got very good feedback and I think people in general were very, very happy with it. Um, you know, I think it's it's a useful exercise and I suppose it's very helpful for people who have difficulty travelling or are geographically distant from our events. But I suppose look at it's not a it's not a replacement as such, I suppose for our event and we're we're all really looking forward to hopefully when the end of the pandemic comes, whether that's because we get a vaccine or whatever happens, um, that, you know, we'll be able to get back out and have public events with people, you know, and I think people are looking forward to that as well. Like So, being by and large, uh, you know, very successful, but not a replacement, I suppose, for, for face-to-face contact and people seeing and feeling and, and uh, what's happening on the ground, you know.
1: And I suppose that brings me to my next question about the restrictions as they continue. And in your sector, there, the sheep sector, how is it affecting sheep farmers?
6: I suppose there is lots of different ways that it can uh, affect people. Um, you know, from a psychological point of view, I think you know I am obviously not a psychologist, or uh, but I think you know people are longing to get back out and um, you know meet people and 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 um do things go to events and and even go to markets and things like that so i think you know i think it has been challenging for people from a a, a mental point of view from a, a financial point of view we've had a good year in sheep um you know prices have been very very good um and very very strong and and they were, they started strong you know and okay we had a few little blips along the way but by and large they were quite good and some of the economists had kind of predicted early on that COVID would have a negative effect because lots of restaurants were closing and food service, you know, canteens in factories and, and places like that they were basically closed down because of the lockdown. But that actually didn't transpire for us. Land prices have stayed very, very strong. They're still strong, you know, and uh, the outlook is that um, profits uh, on sheep farms will be up significantly this year. And it looks like it, it's going to be positive as well for next year. A lot of that is being driven um, by what happened in China with uh, um, African swine fever and the depopulation there of the of the pig herd and the, the real demand for protein, alternative protein sources coming from that um, country. And they've basically taken a lot of our competitors out of the market. A lot of the Australian and New Zealand lamb has been heading to uh, China as opposed to coming to Europe um, and competing with us here. So, you know, all around, I think it's been uh from a, a price point of view it's been a good year from a grass growing point of view i think it has been a reasonably good year as well okay look at maybe the back end was was wet and i think early on in the year on the east coast there were some of the drier farms started suffering a little bit from drought um but i think down here in, in in cork uh where most of the listeners would be i think it's been reasonable reasonable um you know year from a from a farming grass growth you know weather type from that point of view.
1: Head of Sheep Programme at Tiagosk, Michael Gustin, Over the next few weeks, we'll be taking a seasonal look at the sheep sector there with Michael.
4: Mr Martin Hayden, TD, Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, with special responsibility for farm safety, is supporting Mokwin Firma in asking younger people to take the lead on farm safety with the launch of the Mokwin Firma Safe Agri-Skills Initiative. The Safe Agri-Skills Initiative provides a suite of four short training courses in relevant areas around farm safety. Every year, incidents with farm vehicles, machinery and livestock account for the majority of fatalities on Irish farms. Minister Hayden said, while these courses are aimed at younger farmers, there is also great benefit for all farmers in taking the time to complete each of these modules. Minister Hayden said, those of all ages and levels of experience will pick up important safety reminders in each module, and many farmers will find the livestock handling and manual handling courses should be particularly beneficial, especially considering the risks these activities can present. Further information regarding the Macra skill nets at wwwmacraie forward slash skill net and that's the Safe Agri Skills organised in conjunction with Macra and Firma. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
1: Farming for a new decade, the new Kerry Agri Business Tiagas joint programme has been launched. It will promote economic, social and environmentally sustainable dairy farm systems to Kerry Agri Business suppliers. A tailored range of activities will be provided to engage with farmers focused on supporting advancements in best practice and adopting technology. Tagus says it will be working with 15 demonstration farmers and Kerry Agri Business on a new phase of the joint programme with an increased emphasis on reducing the carbon footprint and enhancing water quality. One of the 15 demonstration farmers is William Daly from Newmarket in County Cork. As part of ICOS initiatives to support farmers, members of cooperatives, to the maximum possible in the current public health crisis and onwards, ICOS Skillnet is providing an online workshop aimed at advising on the potential mental health risks facing farmers as lone workers. The first workshop takes place next Tuesday, December the 8th, from 10.30am to 1pm in a virtual meeting using Microsoft Teams. To book a place, email info at icosskillnet.ie. The workshop's offered free to farmer members of cooperatives and 100% funded by ICOS Skillnet. Mokra Agricultural Skillnet recognised its outstanding young leaders at the 2020 ABP National Leadership Awards held online. The winners were John Keane, Devils Bit Mokra Tipperary, Helen Dempsey, Mount Melik Leash and Helen Hayes, Devils Bit Mokra Tipperary while John O'Driscoll of Cora Mokra, Carberry Region in Cork was among the finalists. Nice feature this week in the Farming Independent. It details how in 2012, when vegetable prices hit rock bottom, Sandra and Joe Burns' East Cork farm became unviable. They started making beetroot, carrot and parsnip crisps and they haven't looked back since. Joe's farm, Crisps, is now operating successfully out of Ballycorrigini, Killa. They've won a gold medal at Blas in 2014 and a Great Taste star in 2018. Every bag is sealed by hand and a bagging machine was due to be installed this year. They made the difficult decision to leave the farmer's market after 13 years, given that they had to adapt their business this year to fit the current climate and instead have created a pop-up shop on the farm where they've started selling their veg and crisps. Well, orders for real Christmas trees in Cork are higher than normal this year. That's according to Finton Reardon of the Cork Christmas Tree Farm, who says people are eager to celebrate the festive season that bit earlier. Patley Hahn works a fifth-generation family-run dairy farm, which is also home to Castle Treasure Trees and have been growing trees for a quarter of a century. C103 senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran caught up with Pat and Finton separately
7: to learn more about the real Christmas tree market. So my name is Finton Reardon and uh, we own a, a car Christmas trees and car Christmas tree farm. Farm is based in Ovens and we have a tree shop based in Centre Park Road. Um, just just um, pretty much on the right-hand side um, as they're coming from the Legion building. Come down the the, the, uh, the docks down Centre Park Road and we're on the right-hand side. You'll see a, a nice big marquee. How long have you
5: had the farm here?
7: Uh, the farm here it has been here for over 20 years. Um, it's a family-run business. Uh, you know, it's, something, it's not something you do November, December. It's something you do all year round. Uh, I suppose, you know, the farm would be a combination of horticulture, farming and forestry together. Um, so i really kind to sum it up. It's not, uh, whereas like forestry, we also have forestry as well um, for over 30 years down in West Cork. Um, but I guess with forestry, you plant it, you don't, go, you know, maintain it like you do with Christmas trees. With Christmas trees, you have to shear them, you have to bud pick them, you have to fertilise them have to do all uh, different kind of techniques to get the shape right
5: so it's not just a case of opening up here in November you have to work at it all year round and you yeah. mentioned there about getting the shape right how do you do that
7: um, so it all starts with spacing the, when you plant them you've got to plant them out a certain space you don't want them too far because they they can get you know they they'll just naturally get too wide. You don't want them too close either, because they'll um, you know they, they're going into each other, and then they're not getting the, the right sunlight. So really, you kind can of starts in winter is when you kind of start the pruning when they're about, about four feet, five feet, and you you just have to kind of I suppose uh, imagine the tree is a, is going to be a triangle. And you got to, you know, prune the bottom right up to the top in, in that shape, that kind of symmetrical shape. Um, coming into the summer months, then... The, uh, the Christmas trees, will, they'll turn into flowers, so they'll bloom. So all the, the branches that are hard, they'll actually, they'll be very soft. So what happens, they all turn into buds. So you have to bud pick all the trees. And what that does, it, um, it helps the branches expand and thicken up. So if, you, if you're bud picking one tree, let's say there could be, you know, four, about five or six buds to pick. But if you multiply that by, you know, 40,000 trees, that's, that's quite a lot of work then.
5: Is that What you have here 40,000 trees? Um,
7: oil combination of West Cork as well. We have uh, a lot of trees growing up in West Cork, up in a mountain as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've uh, there's quite a lot of trees you have know, to go through. Yeah,
5: wow. <laughs> <laughs> And what kind of a
7: demand is there for real Christmas trees this year? Um, it's a what I'd say it's the demand, it's there's a different pattern. Um, compared to other years, uh, people are inquiring much earlier than getting calls since the start of October so you know it's very obvious everyone's very eager to celebrate christmas earlier um, and there's a lot of i guess a lot of interest from people who've never had christmas trees real christmas trees before so they're also very eager and very excited uh, which is good um, and I, I i think a lot of people will be you know ditching the the artificial tree this year and going for the real tree uh, i suppose you know another advantage you know people have a a bit more time as well maybe this year compared to other years um, you know I'm sure the traffic will probably be down a small bit too so it makes it easier to um, easier to come and get your tree then as well so it is de- definitely um, a change I suppose uh, with regards you know uh, I suppose people who haven't had a real tree before and there's definitely a, a, quite a big interest there. Like we do a log every year, just so we can, you know, to see, you know, compare each day every year, uh, to see how we're doing. The click and collect and the deliveries are—it's overwhelming. It's it's really overwhelming compared to last year or any other year. You know, very high compared to other years. So it, again, I suppose it goes back to, you know, a lot of people want to celebrate. You know, earlier this year, it's it's quite obvious, right? Right.
5: Well, your name, so and the name of the farm.
8: It's Castle Treasure Christmas Tree Farm and my name is Pat Lee Han and uh, we've been farming here it, it's a, it was a dairy farm until last year and um, we changed, we made some changes and we've, we're have we more specialising more in Christmas trees and growing foliage.
5: Why did you decide to venture in that direction rather than the dairy?
8: Yeah well we when the quarters came in back in the 80s we, we moved we weren't able to expand here in dairying, so we decided to to look at forestry and we developed um, we invested in forestry in in Kerry in West Cork so from that we got involved in growing Christmas trees and foliage so when the when we weren't able to expand in Daring here then recently we decided that the Christmas trees and the foliage was worth developing
5: and has it been worth developing like are you seeing like is it a profitable business now
8: Ah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's not for everybody because you could um, you could you could create a, com- a commodity again, the same as we're doing with milk. And if we had too much of it, mm. there obviously it wouldn't be profitable. But um, yeah, it's okay. It's 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 we're supplying a local market, and um, I think a local product into a local market. And if people buy a local product, and obviously it won't be treated as a commodity. So.
5: And that local market, are you noticing an increase in demand this year?
8: Yeah, and it's great that people are coming to, to buy Christmas trees here uh, because we meet them and it's it's nice when you're working and you're getting the Christmas trees right during the year. It's nice to meet the customers and the customers reaction to the product that we're selling. And uh, if, if they're happy with it, it makes us happy as well.
5: And do the people have to come out here to buy the Christmas trees or can they get them elsewhere?
8: Yeah, we supply uh, a few other outlets. We supply uh, the Co-op superstores in Carrigline and Middleton. And we supply a few local suppliers around here as well. And we supply Kinsale, uh, the Bending Co-op in Kinsale, where, where we've been supplying those for years. But in some three years ago, we decided that we'd uh, start retailing from the yard here. Yeah. And uh, so we have the trees growing here. We can see Shandon steeple from the, from the field. And we can see Parkley Quive and we can see the Galti Mountains and, and in the distance, so you couldn't get more local than that.
5: <laughs> and I'd say there's great excitement for a family with children coming up to a Christmas tree farm, seeing all the Christmas trees, being able to select their own one then.
8: Yes, does a great buzz here and I suppose we've been fortunate that I was brought up in a dairy, in a dairy farm, a very active farm, and um, my children were brought up in a, on, a, on a farm to, and there was always great activity there. So it's it's quite enjoyable to see the, 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 the families coming out and the kids get a great crack out of everything from seeing seeing the trees growing to to seeing the tree being pulled through the, the netting machine or just jumping around and putting on the wellies and, and just uh, walking around the place. They seem to get great enjoyment out of it.
5: And do people have to book a place or can they just come whenever they want?
8: Well, it would be better to book, I suppose, but... Uh, we are normally okay most of the week, but when it comes to Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday, it gets very busy.
7: Yeah,
8: and um, no, it's, it's 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 going well. We're we're well up this year, and it's nice to see people are moving away from the from the artificial piece of plastic. <laughs> and we we think that buying an artificial piece of plastic Christmas tree is is the same as um, if you got your bunch of red roses from that were bought uh, from. From China and uh, <coughs> and made of plastic, I think. And what would even be worse if you if you bought your bunch of roses and took it down from the attic and used it again the following year? I don't think to be, I don't think it would, be, it would go down very well. So, I think that's a reasonable analogy to compare using a, cross, a plastic Christmas tree.
1: Lee Han of Castle Treasure Trees and Finton Reardon of the Core Christmas Tree Farm, and we'll revisit the Christmas tree story again over this festive season. And thanks to C103 senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran. Next week, we'll be on a turkey farm. Irish exporters
4: and hauliers have welcomed the development of increased ferry connections between this country and the European mainland to bypass the potentially congested UK land bridge. The port of Cork to Zeebrugge service, which started in May of this year, is being increased to twice weekly sailings. Mr Conor Moles, Port of Cork Chief Commercial Officer, points out that the second weekly service is being added in response to increasing demand from Irish exporters using the Port of Cork. Mr Moles points out that in these extraordinary times, a second direct freight link with European mainland from Cork, Ireland's primary southern gateway, reinforces CLDN's commitment to Irish exporters, plus ensuring supply chains are maintained. Details of the Cork-Zeebrugge service available from www.portofcork.ie. From the 2nd of January next year, the Danish logistics giant DFDS is operating a six-day sailing schedule between Rosslare Europort and Dunkirk in north of France. Rosler Europort General Manager, Mr Glen Carr, said the Stena Line will be operating three or four sailings to Cherbourg, depending on the week, starting in January 2021. In addition to the DFDS six-day sailings, Brittany Ferries will operate to Bilbao in Spain twice a week, as well as to Roscoff once a week from March 2021. Mr Simon McKeever, Chief Executive of the Irish Exporters Association, has welcomed the planned boost to ferry services to European mainland ports from the island of Ireland. While the Rosslare to Dunkirk voyage will take 24 hours, which is longer than sailings to Cherbourg or Roscoff, on arrival, hauliers will find themselves within three hours of the French capital and only 20 minutes from the Belgian border. Rotterdam in the Netherlands will be served by ferries operating out of Dublin port. The companies involved in these new ceilings to the mainland are CLDN, DFDS, Stena and Brittany Ferries. John O'Connor for Farm Talk.
1: And thanks to John again for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme this week. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Thank you for listening.
0: Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Heifer Rearer Cube. A trusted partner to help your replacement heifers reach their target weights and meet their full potential.
5: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.